Hi and welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Sean, Chris, Dan, and Sean. Hello, Sean. Hey, hey welcome along, Sean. Thank you for joining us tonight. Good evening, tax dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> And other listeners as well. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Tax-paying tax listeners are also welcome. So how is life in the world of stats? Well, it's very numbers-heavy, of course. Um, uh, it, it's, it's delightful, I guess. Uh, <laughs> how is life in the world of stats? That's like when Father Ted asked Bishop Brennan, how's life in the world of religion? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very... It's same old, same old, really. Um, I would say that we had a... Uh, uh-huh. I would say once we got past the French Grand Prix, um, this was a tough season to sell to people because you're just thinking this is processional and, predi- and predictable. Um, and then since the French Grand Prix, yeah. it's like all hell's broken loose, isn't it? So, um, yeah, uh, it's been a much bit a tale of two seasons, really, isn't it? It's like the first half, which is just so linear. And then since then, it's been like, wow, we had like, Every race has been an absolute banger. Absolutely, so, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't remember six races on the trot that were as sort of exciting and as action-packed as we've had uh, in years. Yeah, six races in a row. Like yeah. That, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, can I, I just want to interrupt and say that I, I'm told <clears throat> that uh, this is not to do with F1. My Buffalo Cauliflower order has arrived. Uh, so <laughs> Buffalo Cauliflower will be a plot device in today's podcast. Uh, in fact, here it comes now, jubilantly. Thank you. My grammar assistant, um, also known as my wife, has arrived. There we go. So, Buffalo extra. Thank you. Worst extra Bob Marley song ever. Yes. Indeed so. We've got extra Russell O'Matic paper, because, of course, that works well in a podcast. Now, uh, a certain individual who shall remain nameless as I crack open my Buffalo cauliflower here uh, was eating on the air in Australia. Um, and so and we got text messages um, saying, can you hear that person eating on the air? Uh, yes, actually, we can. Um, because I, I was I was in Australia. I happened to be a present at said eating. And we're, <laughs> everyone else in the booth was looking at each other going, ha, huh, is this a thing now? Um, do you eat in the booth? Do you eat in the booth? Well, in homage to that person, I shall now eat my buffalo cauliflower dreadlock raster. <laughs> Surely dreadlock pasta. Really. <laughs> Even <What>? prefer. <laughs> what what was being eaten in the booth in Australia? What was what was making the noise? I think it was an egg salad sandwich. Oh, um, no. It was certainly not a noisy certainly, food. You would think it was certainly a sandwich and. But what was funny was is that you would think, wouldn't you, in the wonderful world of Formula One, it would be so professional that if you're going to eat, you don't be on, you don't be speaking, you know, you're not going to compensate while eating. Alas, in this case, not not true. Um, the person involved went, "Oh, they're Pierre Gasly, Red Bull." He's taking bites out of the sandwich, and it's like, um, and we're all looking at each other like, "Wow, this is intense." Like, <laughs> It's quite ballsy. Well, first race of the season. Yes, that's what we thought. We were like, "Wow, is this is this how it's done? We've been doing it wrong all this time." 
Uh, are we going to have to rewatch this race now and see if we can spot it in the commentary? No, I, I, I guarantee you, for reasons that shall remain anonymous to protect the uh, the the people involved, it's gone. you will not hear, you will not hear it on um, uh, any broadcast. Whether you whether you tune into Sky Channel Four, F One TV, or wherever, I can guarantee you it was not there. So. Um, yes, it was. It was a hilarious moment, and it became like a running thing for the rest of the weekend. Like, have you got your have you got your sandwiches? So, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as qualifying starts, we'll tuck in. Amazing. I don't know where to go from there. We've got a running order, but that's just thrown it on, out the window completely. Well, what's the first item on the on the on the vague running order? Um, the first thing that's written down is above the original first thing that's written down because Mercedes have just launched their Formula E team with their lineup. Uh, I know you've been doing a lot of work for Formula E over the last season, Sean. Um, any opinions on Mercedes sort of finally putting the full team out and picking up the scraps from McLaren? Yeah, <laughs> and getting in, getting involved full time rather than sort of the testing the water with the HWA entry. Well, I think it's just the next step in where we thought Formula E was going after the first couple of seasons. Once they they negotiated, navigated their way through the first two seasons, um, to the point where they were financially stable um that they weren't going to go the same way as a1 grand prix for instance once they've done that it seemed pretty obvious that more and more manufacturers are going to jump on board because it became a cause celeb for manufacturer boardrooms around the world and once you had the likes of jaguar and renault of course now nissan um and these sorts of people you're thinking oh that's interesting that the these manufacturers would would stake their reputation on this series um but the floodgates really opened once the, the big German manufacturers got interested, got interested, you know, Audi, then BMW, and then Porsche and, and Mercedes-Benz. And you're thinking, wow, okay, now we've hit critical mass. Now you've got these these big manufacturers. It's turned from being, should we get involved, to who are we if we're not involved? Yeah. And um, the ultimate, of course, the ultimate um, company to get involved would be Ferrari. Um, I've made this, made this point a few times before, that if Ferrari got involved in Formula E, that would give it a certain um uh, respect is the word i guess um do you think if ferrari get involved with that on a works level when they won't get involved on a works level in say sports car racing or or indycar then then they move to the next level so you could say that let's see what the fiat ferrari people do you know maybe they won't send ferrari maybe it'll be like maserati or something like that or some some related brand but um, it's it, it is impressive, I think, that what Formula E have been able to do to attract so many manufacturers. Of course, yes, it's a lot cheaper. The, um, the I forget the exact value of the car. I think it's uh, it, it was it has to be whole thing has to be worth less than eight hundred and seventy thousand euros, okay. which for a top line international motorsport is pretty affordable. Um, and when once they move to one car to do the whole seat, once they move to one car that will do the whole race. That instantly halved the freight and uh, and co- the freight and the running costs because you didn't need two cars anymore. Um, so once they got past that bit as well, you know, you're thinking, wow, this is the whole thing is is coming to them in terms of where we're going in the next generation. It's been a lot better as it as well. The second generation, the um, you know, keeping the, the the updates to the cars they made was it before this season or was it last season? They did Gen- it was this season, this season just gone with yeah. the uh, with the changes. The new Gen two, it's yeah, been, it's worked for them. Yeah, it, it, it's good that I think what um, Alejandro Agag has been very good at doing is avoiding 
making it look like Formula One. They, they, uh, with the exception of Monaco, of course, but Monaco's kind of a law unto itself. If you've got, again, Monaco's like the Ferrari of, of, of tracks. If you've got Monaco in your calendar, it affords a credibility to your championship that other tracks don't give you. Um, so having that, that's there, that's a glamour fixture. Um, but also, if you look at the other places they've been to, they've really tried, where possible, to not just make it look like a slow version of Formula One. And they've been to interesting racetracks like uh, Marrakesh, which I see that might be dropping off the calendar, which I think is a real shame. Marrakesh is the fastest track on the calendar. And it's one of the few racetracks where Formula E cars can really be thrown around a little bit. A lot of these tracks are a little bit Mickey Mouse, like the one in Hong Kong, which is very slow. But Marrakesh has a lot of flowing corners, which if it was a Formula One car, it, you know, you would think this is just, this, you know, this, this is a nothing corner. But in a Formula E car, it's much more challenging. Um, so I think... I hope they, they continue to go to tracks that are like that. Uh, and it would be a shame if they lose Marrakesh. Although um, they do need to make a few changes to the uh, to the circuit in Bern with that chicane just after the start. The, <laughs> the 19 car pile-up mm. we had before turn one. <clears throat> yes, indeed. But it's all part of the fun in Formula E, isn't it? <laughs> a big massive pile-up and a chicane on lap one. I think we had four red, I think we had four red flags this year. Um, related to pileups and we'd had we'd had one in the first what four seasons and then we had four this year so yeah uh, for whatever reason they got a little bit more aggressive with their driving this year i don't know whether it's because the pit stops went away and the, you know the car change went away and there's no chance to to uh, undercut your rival in the pit stops or what but um they, yeah they do need to calm down a little bit on those first laps but it is aided by having a racetrack where you don't have a ridiculously tight corner halfway around the first lap. Yeah. Um, with uh, what you were saying before about Ferrari, if they were to throw their weight behind um, a Formula E team, that would give it a certain um, you know, credence. Um, with, I think Sergio Marchione was saying that um, they were going to put Maserati in, a, in Formula E. Um, obviously nothing's materialised since then, and obviously all of his plans will have changed. But with Mercedes being the um, <clears throat> what, five, is it at the moment? Five-time champions? I'm losing count of how yeah. many championships they've won. Uh, with Soon them, to be six. Exactly, yeah. With them going to, to Formula E to have a go at that, uh, with a driver lineup of you know two drivers that they clearly rate quite highly who... One of whom McLaren don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> obviously Nick De Vries didn't make it to Formula One. Stoffel Van Dorn had a bash, perhaps a little unfairly in McLaren, and but you know didn't didn't really make a dent in Formula One. Is is that not enough? Do you think for for Formula E to be really be taken seriously by the uh, by the Formula One crowd who are still naysaying Formula E? Um, of which I'm ashamed to say I was one some time ago. <laughs> well, I was one too. I mean, in, in the run-up to the very first race, Beijing 2014, I was among the people who was thinking, this is never going to work. You've got to be kidding me. Like the car, you know, you watch the preseason test at Donington, and they're tooling around slower than a Formula Ford car. And you're thinking, I, I don't see how this is ever going to pull a crowd. Why would anybody show up to watch this? Yeah. What I, what I missed out on, is the fact that they're not racing on tracks like Donington Park. They're racing on tracks in the city yeah. where, where everybody's up close to the action. And because they're going slow, the, the spectators are going to be up close to the racetrack. Um, and it's much more, it's a, it's a much different beast to what normal petrol engines racing is as a result. And they've, and they've, they've carved their own niche with that. Um, 
it doesn't necessarily surprise me that there's still aloofness from the Formula One community because Formula One is aloof. Um, Formula One's aloof about everything. Um, if you ever go to an airport the day after a Grand Prix, the morning after a Grand Prix, you will find that the line at the check-in for the um, the people with you know platinum status, yeah, it's it's longer than the economy check-in because it's about status. You know that's what Formula One is. We're all about status. Me and I'm, and I'm not I'm not disqualifying myself. So it's always a case of we are more elite than you, and we're going to show you. So it doesn't surprise me necessarily that Formula One people are aloof to the whole thing. But at the same time, I don't see why Formula E ultimately won't be the savior of Formula One. Now, people have laughed at me when I've said that. But I think that Formula E's clean credentials, clean industry credentials, battery credentials, will ultimately allow F1 to get back to being, as I've said many times before, the hard, you know, it's almost like the hard drinking rock star, you know, shaggier sister sort of, you know, that it's sort of excitement of like danger and, and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't need Formula One doesn't need to be completely obsessed with its uh, clean industry credentials or its ability to sell road cars. That's what Formula E can do. So hopefully Formula One can 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 actually benefit from Formula E being there as a supplementary series, because then, you know, you're not worrying about does this translate to a road car? Well, who cares? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> because there's something that Bernie Eccleston said as well, wasn't it? That, that what you just said there. I think he said that uh, he, he was a little bit ruder about it. I think he said uh, <laughs> that, that we'll we'll get on with the racing whilst Formula E gets on with saving the world, essentially. Mm. Thought, normally, that's normally that's Bernie's job, of course, saving the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all know how good he is at that. <clears throat> we well, know. well, I say Liberty Media probably missing him at times like this. You know, yeah, the honeymoon period's over now. Now we're getting down to the serious business, and we're realizing that Formula One is very complicated politically. And say what you want about Bernie Ecclestone, but he knew the game inside out, and he could play everybody like a fiddle when he needed to, which was a very handy thing to have. Yeah, we noticed that he only just recently, well, obviously he doesn't turn up to every race anymore, but he's only just recently started wearing the new F1 logo shirts because uh, I think it was up until even earlier this season, he was still wearing his shirt with the old F1 logo <laughs> on it, even though they did the big reveal last year. He's like, no, I'm still, this is still my shirt, I'm still my show. <laughs> like, um, I didn't realise, I didn't realise he was wearing the new logo, actually. Yeah, um, he started wearing it, it was the last time we saw him. What, what, what race was that, Paul? You spotted it. Um, was it Silverstone? I think it might have been Silverstone. Yeah, might have been at Silverstone. Was yeah. he at Silverstone? I didn't see him there. I was Possibly. in the paddock for that. I must have missed him. Um, but I, I, I almost it's more didn't likely miss that him. We've got that wrong. <laughs> I, I, I nearly spectacularly did not miss him in Abu Dhabi. Um, Sky Sports were on the air doing their pre-race show in the paddock in Abu Dhabi last year, and I was walking up the pit lane or walking up the paddock, and I saw the cameras were pointing in my direction. You know, because I was walking up behind them. So I thought, I'll do the thing. I'll do the Alfred Hitchcock thing where you walk briefly out of the back of the shot just to prove you were there. And um, at the last minute, I ducked around them. And then I realized I was ducking right into Flavio Briatore. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought, oh, well, I don't want to bump into him. That could be an international incident. So I'll duck around <laughs> him. And then so I tried. So I, I, I was keeping my eyes on Flavio as I was going past. I'll, I'll go around him. And then I nearly um, rugby tackled Bernie, who was the next person around. Because <laughs> I was so busy looking like, don't knock Flavio over. <laughs> Uh, that I nearly knocked Bernie over instead. I thought, wow, okay, that could have been the end of a career right there. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be easier to knock Bernie over than Flavio, though, I would imagine. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, uh, yeah, I um, we used to see him at Indy every year with these huge bodyguards, the kind you know, the kind of ones that accompany Britney Spears when she goes on goes to Rodeo Drive for shopping, those sorts of ones. And I remember Bob Varsha, who's got one of the driest sense of humors in Formula One, saying to us, "What do you suppose they're going to do if there's trouble? Will they just pick him up and run?" <laughs> Are they retired college footballers? Are they just going, you know, they're yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, what have we got next? Uh, Williams signing the new Mercedes deal. Um, Mercedes will be powering Williams until 2024. 24. Yeah. Um, shame, the, shame they haven't got the uh, Mercedes designing the car until then as well. Ooh. Well, yes and no. I mean, the Mercedes power doesn't appear to have the leverage over you know the, the, the customer teams doesn't mm. appear to have the leverage that it used to have uh, or, or it doesn't mean what it used to mean um you know in, in a straight line you would say you know the the, the racing point and the and the williams would be um by far superior to you know the renault powered cars you know the honda powered cars and even the ferrari powered cars in in the few seasons gone by but that's just not the case now um, Williams and Racing Point, especially, it's, I don't know if it's less of a complete package, but it's just not. It's the, yeah, the, the Mercedes engine isn't making the difference anymore. No, it used to make the difference, and it just it isn't. And I don't. I, but what do you think, Sean? Is that the way that, that everybody else has caught up, or is it more of a complete package thing with with the customer engines? Well, first off, I want to say this Buffalo qualifier is fantastic. Um, <laughs> I switched my microphone off while you were talking then, so I could just get tucked in. And, uh, yeah, thumbs up from me. So the three legs, four wheels, culinary challenge, Buffalo Cauliflower, definitely Dreadlock Rasta. So, um, sure, could you just talk amongst yourself while you finish chewing this bit? Yeah, of course, yeah, not a problem. Uh, I'm just Googling recipes I'm, I'm, for Buffalo Cauliflower. I have just Googled it also, yeah. yes. <laughs> right, you see, this, this episode is brought, brought to you by Buffalo Cauliflower. Okay, I'll finish now. Absolutely. So Williams, Williams and Mercedes. Um, I do agree that there was a point five years ago where having a Mercedes engine definitely afforded you a lot of um, advantage. Uh, it wasn't the be-all and end-all of everything, but certainly it was a much bigger advantage than it is now. Um, Williams, of course, are the only team this season who have finished every race with both cars. They haven't suffered a retirement. And as somebody, uh, <laughs> some great wit said on Twitter the other day, to finish last, first you must finish. Um <laughs> But well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got to be in it to win it. I mean, look, Robert Kubica got a point at Hockenheim by simply not falling off the road. So, you know, that's that's really all Williams are going to be uh, capable of doing right now. Um, but it does afford stability. At least they know definitely when they go to sponsors A, B and C. Hey, we've got the Mercedes engine for the next few years. We definitely know what engine we're designing around. Yeah. You know, it does. There's one less thing to worry about. And Williams have got a lot of other things to worry about right now. At least the engine supplier isn't one of them. Yeah. There were sniffs that they might have been, um, they might have been sniffing out Renault for a little while uh, to see what the, you know, they, what deal they could get there. But um, it's probably positive for them that they decided to stick with Mercedes going forward. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if another team might be willing to take on, you know, take a gamble on Honda with the, the, the gains they've made since they joined the Red Bull family. Well, when it comes to Honda, I would say that the the gains that they've had with the Red Bull Toro Rosso link up 
perhaps aren't necessarily gains so much as that the working relationship with McLaren was so bad all along that it masked what Honda were actually capable of doing. Because, of course, McLaren were very exacting about the design they wanted for that engine originally. Sorry, power unit. We'll say power unit now. Yeah, of course. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, um, said, I said engine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. power unit, yeah. Um, but once they moved to Toro Rosso, it became obvious that, look, this engine isn't anywhere near as bad as you've been led to believe. It's just now that we're kind of we're out of a, a bad marriage, you know. Turns out, turns out, I'm not such a bad guy. Is that you know, it's kind of like that sort of thing. Yeah, but so both I don't Honda think, I don't and think... McLaren seem to get better by separating. Yes, but it was it was it was clearly obvious that all of McLaren's protestations about you know we've got the third best chassis if we just had a decent engine was not true. Rubbish. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, so Honda got the, uh, the the rough end of the stick on that one, and and that's why I was so pleased for them when they they won. Uh, in Austria, because you thought, well, a lot of guys there have been through a lot, and they've they've had a lot put shoved at their door, including full disclosure from me, because there were definitely times where you thought, look, you can't even get an engine round in a form round the outlaps of the grid. The first race they did, Melbourne 2015, yeah, Kevin yeah. Magnussen lost an engine in the first third of a lap. Yeah. So, you know, some of it was on them, but to see them actually turn it round, um, and now be at the point where. A Honda's running at the front of a race and no one really bats an eyelid is, you know, just like old times. When it comes to Williams sounding out Renault, um, I can't help but feel as though that that would be nothing more than seeing if Renault were interested in a closer working relationship. Like, would you give us a discount on the engine, for instance? Because I don't see, I, I haven't seen anything in the data this year that suggests that Renault are a better engine than Mercedes, to be honest. No. Um, sure, it, it, I mean, it's it's fine, but. I don't know why you would want to throw away a Mercedes deal unless Mercedes are charging you 20 million a year and you might get a Renault for 11 million instead. You know, in that case, yeah, the Renault looks great. Unless, of course, Williams are getting some kind of discount off George Russell and that was likely to end soon. Ooh. Also that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, could, that could also be the case. Um, but, but when the contract's coming to an end, you're going to talk to the other suppliers just to say, what can you do, aren't you? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why why wouldn't you just test the market? Like, do I do I want to stay with this? Like, as it's a customer deal, you know, what are we getting out of it? Um, do Renault want to do something where it's a little bit more of a closer working relationship? That sort of thing. You know, who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe the kind of closeness in the relationship with Renault that Cyril Beatable has with a microphone usually <laughs> that close. <laughs> <laughs> well, he hasn't. Some... Has he been on three legs, four wheels yet? just now yeah <laughs> that was him well i think well, yeah right well we'll know yeah that that's when we'll know how close to the mic he is when he's a guest on this show yeah you know, nobody informed me once you until you've been on to this show even buffalo cauliflower has now been on this show so exactly. buffalo cauliflower is going to go I, global now. i think we know what our race snack is on sunday now yes yeah yeah uh, oh that's actually hash, no that's i'm right for this episode. I'm cycling around the TT course twice on Sunday, so I'm going to miss the You're race and the buffalo, the buffalo cauliflower. cauliflower. <laughs> you don't have to miss. The, you don't have to miss the food. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's feeding stations, isn't there? There, there are. Yeah, yeah. Get get the future Mrs. Dan out with a bag of buffalo cauliflower as you go past. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Absolutely. Uh, what have we got next? Ah, Robert Kubica, um, Audi DTM interest. Do you think that's more of Audi just sounding him out? Oh, uh, I think... Audi have said they've spoken to him. 
And I think it'd be hard for him to stay in Formula One. I mean, it's great that he came back, brilliant that he came back, but he, mm. it's hard to know where he is with that Williams. Really, it's it's it's, it's a tough one to to be able to tell. Well, I, I would contend that it's easy to know where he is because he's had his ass completely handed to him by George <laughs> Russell this year, in no uncertain terms. And if he was any other, if he was any other driver, let's say if we, let's change his name to Lance Stroll. Now, if <laughs> if it was if it, if the driver of that car changed his name to Lance Stroll, everybody would say this guy's absolutely useless. He's a donkey. Get him out of the seat right away. Yeah. Um, but because he's Robert Kubica, this sounds harsh, but he's kind of trading on the whole fairy tale story at this stage. Now, remember that. Renault tested him in at the Hungara ring in what was it 2017? Yeah, I think it um, was. Yeah. And everybody thought they were, that Renault were going to take him on and continue the deal that they had with him in 2010. And in the end they passed. They decided no, not not having it. Um and of course, I think Will- Williams had the same thing. Um they passed at the Williams, first time, didn't they? They mm-hmm. passed at the first attempt. They went with Sorokin instead because Everybody thought, oh, well, it's all sponsorship, isn't it? You know, Sorokin's got all the oligarch millions, blah, blah, blah. But you have to say, um, Sorokin was probably more impressive than Kubitz has been this season. Yeah, I know the car's bad, but uh, Sorokin had his moments um, in 2017, and Kubica hasn't. Do you know Robert Kubitz has run in the top 10 for a grand total this season of one lap? And that was the last so, lap of Hockenheim. <laughs> No, it wasn't even that wasn't because it? he only got the point was because the, the Alphas were disqualified. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good <laughs> job and Reichen. Yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, he did run tenth for one lap at Hockenheim, but it wasn't the last lap, which kind of annoys me as a stats guy because I really wanted to say that Kubitz has got a point this season without ever running in the top ten, um, <laughs> which is a much more cryptic statistic. But yeah, he's done one lap in the top ten, but that says a lot. He's been out qualified by Russell at every race. Russell's supposed to be a rookie. Was um, Russell, was it one point three seconds? Russell was faster than him at the Hungaro ring. Yeah, I mean George Russell, who I think, excuse me, um, I think George Russell has been one of the outstanding drivers of the season um, for the connoisseur. You know, he's not he's not Charles Leclerc because of course Leclerc getting all the headlines up at the front. Russell's doing a <laughs> I've done a superb job. Have you? Uh, can anybody tell me any instance where you've heard George Russell say? Oh, the car's terrible. I, you know, no. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I think no, that, exactly. I think, I think that's that's his ultimate strength is his um, his ability to just keep his keep his cool and you know just okay. Even even early season, he was just like, well, you know, I had a good fight with Robert in the opening few laps, and then a bit of a lonely race after that. But we push on and we move forward to the next race. He's always right. positive, and I think that's held him in such good stead over the season. Um, yeah, and the fact that he's made. Very few, if zero, mistakes. I can't think of a his his he season. Did agree this year. to appear on this show. <laughs> he did agree oh, right. to appear on the show. Yeah. He has been on this show. He has. There you go. You see, maybe not. Maybe it's not Big Cyril, but he's getting there. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, he he has impressed me in a manner that I would say reminds me a lot of Fernando Alonso at Minardi in two thousand and one whereby he was given a car that he had almost no chance of doing anything noteworthy with and yet achieved something noteworthy. Um, for me, with Alonso in 2001, it was the qualifying at the first race in Melbourne where we all went, wow, he got more out of that car than I think Minardi thought was in it. Yeah. Um, and I think this year for Russell, it was Hungara in qualifying when he was only 63,000, I think, away from getting into Q2 in a car that is a dog. 
Um, and the, the attitude is there. The, he has the attitude of a champion. He doesn't whinge. He doesn't say, well, you know, this team's beneath me. Or he doesn't say anything stupid. He just gets his head down and gets on with it. And, and from everything I've heard, from people, people who work with him in F2 said the same. He was always super easy to work with, always positive, always thinking, okay, how do we make it better? What do we do? Not just throwing the toys out the pram. Yeah. Um, and I hope, I hope that his his perseverance is rewarded at some point down the line here. I'd hate to see him go the same way as Stoffel Van Dorn, who wiped the floor with people in GP2. But yet when he got to F1, it all sort of went a bit pear-shaped for him. And we lost that big talent that yeah. Van Dorn so obviously possessed. Hopefully that doesn't happen with Russell and he gets the uh, he gets the kind of seat that his talent obviously warrants. Do you think that Kubitz has had his ass handed to him by George Russell because George Russell is just that good as well as Kubitz being a bit, just just that bad? A bit below par, let's be yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> well, tough luck, I'd say. Yeah. Um, you know, was Van Dorn that bad or was Fernando Alonso that good? It doesn't matter. Van Dorn's not in Formula One anymore. No. So that's just the way it goes. Um, when you're paired with these drivers, it can finish careers. Just ask Michael Andretti. Yep. Yeah, true. Um, we've got, got to ask this scene as Lee isn't here. Do, we, do you think we'll see Fernando Alonso back in F1? Um, mm, I'd say the odds are against it. I think it needs it. It would need to be a good seat, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to join... Like, if Racing Point approached him, he's not going to join Racing Point and just tool around in the midfield again. He's done enough of that. But it is a shame the way his career has panned out um, because his numbers were staggering up to a point. And I still think his best seasons were the ones where he didn't win the championship. I think his be- the best season I saw him drive was probably 2012. Yeah. Um, which many of us in the paddock have said, is that the best season ever driven by any driver that didn't win a championship because he was so good in a car that was so bad um, that it should have been nowhere near winning a championship. And he took it to the last race of the season. So there were several, several instances in his late Ferrari career where I thought he reminds me of Senna in the early nineties, McLarens that were off the pace, hanging on for dear life, driving it quicker than it should go. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame if Alonso doesn't come back. It's a bit of a waste, but I guess never say never. You know, don't think many people saw Nico Rosberg suddenly retiring on the spot in 2016. No, um, and of course, I'm sure Alonso's ears went up when that happened the one day, and we all thought, <laughs> why didn't they put Alonso in the Mercedes? And then they didn't. So, yeah, the opportunity may have gone now, unfortunately. But it would be. I hope. I would love to see him do a full IndyCar schedule, actually. I think for IndyCar, it'd be, ma- it'd be massive. It'd be the biggest thing that happened to IndyCar since Nigel Mansell went to IndyCar. And I'm surprised that they haven't um, made it happen because his, his draw, the ability of him to draw numbers like no other driver that would go to IndyCar is fantastic. I remember in the 2017 Indy 500 practice sessions that were on YouTube, when it, because, just because Alonso was taking part, they registered a 987% increase in traffic watching the live <laughs> youtube sessions wow just because alonso was there we were now, the reason, the reason i here. remember the reason i remember that exact number is because alonso retweeted my tweet on the subject so <laughs> I, I particularly remember that one do you get retweeted by drivers current drivers or previous does that happen often or is it just a case of you know you throw stats out there and sometimes they just get they get picked up on 
Um, te- teams pick up on it. Uh, teams, Pirelli. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff I do is retweeted, um, you know, in a th- third-party way because because I work with so many broadcasters and with Formula One themselves. A lot of a lot of the time, they'll tweet something out that has some content that I've written or composed in some way, um, and then that gets retweeted. But the people don't necessarily know that it was me who came up with it. Um, I guess only only the real hardcore anoraks um, <laughs> retweet stuff that I actually come right from my own account. You mean like the four of us? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed so. Although uh, Sky were bigging you up um, by name on the uh, on the show, I think it was on the it was during qualifying during the last race. Yes, I heard, I heard about this. What did they say? I can't, I, can't remember, I can't remember what it was, but Crofty was going on about some particular stat that um, you'd come out with that had amazed him and everyone should follow you on Twitter because you were always coming out with things like that and you were an unsung hero. Wow. Well, <laughs> not enough respect in that area to David Croft, I'd say. Um, <laughs> I suspect he was referring to my um, analysis of why it wasn't the 90th Italian Grand Prix. I um, think that was it. I think that was it. The Phantom yes, Race. Because, Wasn't yes, because yes, we had a, one race was that was missed. Yeah. Yes, because I, in my in the pack that I'd sent to the broadcasters, I'd said this is the 89th running of the Italian Grand Prix, and then the next day, the organisers said we're celebrating the 90th Italian Grand Prix, and I thought, no, you're not. <laughs> Hang on there a minute, Mister Official Source. Uh, <laughs> this is the 89th race. What's happened? So what I did was I went to, I sent a message to Michele Merlino who's um, uh, one of the leading lights within Forex um, and a, a major statistician for Italian sport um, said, Michele, what do you reckon here? You know, it's like 90th running. Uh, I make it 89. What do you think? And he said, hmm, actually, yes, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Where's that come from? And then we got involved and we got we brought David Hayhoe into the conversation, who's the author of The Knowledge, which is a fantastic Formula One reference book, which I think everybody, anybody who's really interested in F1 history should absolutely have that book. Um, brought him in, and we brought João Paulo Cunha in, who was actually the boss of Forex. So we had a real, right. we had a we had a proper power email chain going on, um, talking about where's this come from, what's the origin, um, and we traced it to. It could have been one of two things. It could have been the 1930 Monza Grand Prix, which was not the Italian Grand Prix. It was called the Monza Grand Prix. We thought it was that, but then we discarded it because we realised looking at we had. <laughs> McKaylee brought old copies of uh, Gazetta della Sport uh, from, the from the 40s. From the 1940s? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, this is like micro- microfilm stuff, you know. This is proper, uh, and it, and proper old out, school research. There's no Googling going yeah, on here, this, is there? This went in, yeah, this went into some detail, this, this thing we were doing. And it said, you know, uh, the 1944 race is, is the, whatever it was, the 21st. Okay, so there's been, we've counted 20, 20 to that point. So it's happened before then. Eventually, we tracked it down to the 1940 race. The 1940 Italian Grand Prix was announced as a race. Then all the other races in Italy were cancelled due to the outbreak of World War II. But the Italian Grand Prix was, was, was still on. And then eventually, as the war escalated, the Italian Grand Prix itself was cancelled. And when racing resumed in Italy in 1946, the ordinal number of the race reflected that the 1940 event had in fact taken place. So what you ended up with was this phantom race whereby, okay, whatever it was, however many runners, like the 15th Italian Grand Prix in 1940, never happened. The 16th Italian Grand Prix was in 1946, however many it was. I forget the number. Yeah. Um, so then that's where that anomaly had got into it, and it had stuck right through to the present day. So 
it was necessary to explain this to everybody because I had pointed out that it's the 89th running. So I couldn't just leave all the broadcasters without any explanation as to why that had happened. <laughs> so that's how we ended up with, that's how I, I suspect that's what Crofty was explaining on the air is how we arrived at this explanation because we also had to appease the organizers. It wasn't going to do us any favors to tell the organizers, Hey, pillocks, you've counted wrong. <laughs> um, they wanted it so to coincide said, with the Ferrari thing. Yeah, it thing, suits Ferrari, they? doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, so we had to re, re, uh, revise it as saying, look, it's the 90th edition of the Italian Grand Prix, the 89th running. We've had 18, This is the 89th running plus the one race that didn't happen in 1940 because of the World War. Uh, and that's, sort of, that's, that's the nomenclature we use after that. It's the 90th edition of, of the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> And hasn't it, as Monza's been on the calendar of every year of Formula One, was it except for one year or was it? Yes. Do you, know, do you know which year? Is 1980. It? Yeah, I was going to say yeah, Very good. Tenor to Sean who the writes the there. previews on the website. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> who won that race then? Oh, I can't remember that bit. The 1980 Italian Grand Prix. Yes. Mm, Alan Jones. No, the other one, uh, Nelson Piquet. Oh, it's going to be one of from them. <laughs> Nelson Piquet from fifth, from fifth on the grid, I believe it was at Imola in yeah. 1980. Um, and yes, that was the only time that the race left Monza in the championship era. He, he's just total shunted us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, do you know who that was? Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, sometimes I like to freestyle. Right, we're gonna drop. Gonna drop the first of the t- tonight's total shunts oh. in. This, this is, is this for all of us, or is this for Sean? This, this, every, everyone can join in, but this, this one has been. Uh, this but one realistically, has been done with... Sean's the only one who's gonna actually know it. Yeah, is th- what you're saying. Here. This is this one's been done with <laughs> Sean in mind. Let me just make sure I've got the good old right one. Okay, okay. First clue. I was born. Oh, by the way, this is from Gregory Blanton. So thank you for sending this one in, Gregory. I was born in 1958. So remember, Sean, this can be a thing or, you know, uh, an object or a company or anything associated with, with, with motorsport. So, so uh, this is doesn't an... have to be a person. That is true. So this is an entity <laughs> in its 61st year? Okay, so is Whether it the Formula person. 1 Constructors' Championship? It isn't. Ah. My birth year is an extremely important year in the history of my country. Hmm. Right. That is an interesting <laughs> one. Um... Hmm. Any offer? Any offers from the table? No. <laughs> well, it was it was 1917, wasn't it? That Finland became an official country. So it's a long time before then. So we're not talking about. Finland, so we're just saying so, pick so. years of independence of countries. And well, I'm for trying the best. to. Yeah, 1950. I can't think of. I'm, I'm trying to remember because there was a glut of graffiti around the Isle of Man a few years back where people were graffitiing the names of countries and the years that they gained independence as some kind of like Manx independence movement. And I'm sure there was a 1958 but I can't remember which country it was. Mm. Well, so nonetheless, I, I, I am none the wiser so far. Continue. We, need, we need another clue, I think. <laughs> okay, clue number three. I, par- I participated in four Formula One seasons. So it could be looking at uh-huh. a driver or a team or... Or a country. <clears throat> yeah, or a clerk of the course. <laughs> or a racetrack. <laughs> Do you know what? Some of, the, some of the, uh, the, the people that have been thrown our way, Sean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a marshal <laughs> you, you know, who, who stood at turn two at Suzuka or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so where are we up to? Give a recap here. 19, born in 1958. Born in 1958. Um, so important year for their country. And participated in four Formula One seasons. So if we were looking at a driver, if they were born in 58, so we're looking at somebody who probably drove 
80s early 90s really aren't we um yeah if it's a driver yeah i i appreciate these suitably vague clues on display so far <laughs> um if it was born it was born in 58 and there was constructor there'd be 89 58 59 60 and 61 um nothing's nothing's coming to pass to me as an obvious constructor of that time continue okay clue four I'm best known for my association with the French Grand Prix. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Is that the um, one that says you've got it, Sean? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not great on French history. Is 1958 a particularly significant year in the history of France? I guess it must have been. <laughs> Might have been the it might have been the uh, the year that Charles de Gaulle became the president of France. Mm. Um, is it is it um, Rouen les Essarts? We'll move on because <laughs> Sean's got it right. <laughs> <laughs> I was directly involved in the accident that cost Helmut Marko his vision in one eye. Oh yeah, that was the one I was talking about oh. a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, it's the the circuit. It's Rouen, Clement Ferrand. It's Clement Ferrand. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was the clue I thought I'd get. I thought you would get that yeah. one on. Yeah, Lee didn't I, I can't realize. Believe, I, I can't Sorry. believe I got the wrong track there. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Lee um, didn't realize until a few weeks ago that um, that Helmut Marko was actually a driver, and I had to explain to him what happened to Helmut Marko and why he's got the the glass eye. And, and I, I kind of got the story a little bit wrong. Yeah, you but... thought, Lee just thought he was a Bond villain. Yeah, Lee just thought he was just <laughs> this guy who came along and just you know just just fired people yeah. all the time. Like, there's, no, there's, he was actually a, lot a driver. People, there are a lot of people who think Helmut Marko was a Bond villain. Ask Scott Speed, Pierre Gasly, yeah. Danny Kafir. Um, yeah, well, Danny Kavir's um, like, like an elastic band. He just keeps coming back for more. I know. Good for him. He's he's the he's the he's the comeback Ken Dan, Danny Kafir. He really is. Yeah. Good for him. I, he's one of the feel good stories of the year. But we digress. Yeah, I, I am a bit annoyed at myself that I got Rouen mixed up with Clermont Ferrand because Rouen I think was on the calendar in '52 the first time, and I thought it had five runnings of the race. I didn't realize we only had four at Clermont Ferrand, um, which is yeah, I overthought that one. Damn it. <laughs> Um, I tell you what it is. It's all that buffalo cauliflower. Has anybody yeah. had any buffalo cauliflower during this podcast? It really is terrific. I wash it down with this lovely English breakfast tea. You know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, right, where are we? Ah, it was a good Goodwood revival this weekend. It was. We are going to have to get ourselves over there one year. Um, have you ever been to any of the Goodwood festivals, Sean? Either the uh, Festival of Speed or the or the revival meeting? I've not. I've actually had. I've had invites to do it. Um, but living here in America, um, it's always a case of, oh, uh, well, it's like I'm doing other stuff. I've got other stuff going on. Like, it's kind of one of those things where, and this, this, this sounds very, this sounds very hoity-toity, but it, I'm not getting paid to do it. So you think, oh, do I really want to travel on an off weekend when I do enough travels as it is? You know, uh, I'll go one year. What I tell you, well, one year it'll happen. I happen to be in Britain when it's happening, and I'll think, oh. Yeah, I should go totally. Yeah, uh, but that hasn't hasn't come to pass yet, unfortunately. Which is a shame because it looks they both both the festival of speed and the revival look like terrific fun. I actually think the revival meeting looks even more fun when you've got to wear the period costume and everything. Yeah, it does look like a like like, like a more 
engaging experience, should we say, more fun yeah, I... for the for the for the people who, who, who go and have a look. Although the festival I at thought... speed I was gonna say the festival at speed I really enjoyed watching that uh, electric uh, Volkswagen car go up in record breaking time, but it didn't actually count because they didn't do it on the last <laughs> um... day nonsense i i i was watching i was watching something on television the other day that i thought was the goodwood revival meeting because everybody was dressed in period costume turns out it was jacob reese mogg (laughs) they're easily confused you know they're the chancellor of the duchy yeah i mean the the one the one thing i noticed was there was um more flat caps than i'm actually used to seeing even when i go back home to yorkshire Hey, right, you couldn't pick Nigel Mansell out of a parade at the Goodwood Revival, could you? <laughs> not a chance. Probably not, no. They all, yeah, everybody would be dressed just like Nigel. That, that's one of the um, abiding memories, of the, well, memories, the pictures from the 80s was Mansell in his, in his red overalls, red Williams overalls, with, with his flat cap on. What an, ap- <laughs> yeah, what an absolute pimp. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see the big mural at, um, at Monza last week with... Every um, every Ferrari driver to have won a race that was painted on there, and Mansell had his flat cap on in the painting. No, no, I didn't see that. No. Yeah, um, <laughs> I put it on our site. I think it was the, I think it might have been the race review, ah. or possibly the live qualifying blog. Nice, yeah, because he, he still he wore the flat cap right up until early, well, ninety one, ninety two, yeah, ish. So it was, no, he was still, he was still wearing it when he was at McLaren. Was he? Even really? ninety five. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember that. Ron let him get away with it, or did Ron redesign it to make it slightly more aerodynamic? He didn't resign, didn't redesign Mansell to make it more aerodynamic, <laughs> though, did he? He did not. No, no. no. I remember a, a journalist at the start of that year when Mansell was announced as a McLaren driver. One of the, there was a journalist. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been off. It might have been off the record anyway. So maybe I shouldn't be saying. But a journalist said, "Give it four races." I'll give, I'll give it four races that Mansell will do at McLaren before the whole thing will blow up and it'll all end in a fight. Then he do five, and he did two. So, <laughs> um, and Patrick Head, Patrick Head once said to Joe Ramirez, "You know, Joe, I, I can't tell you how to de- handle Ma- Nigel. You're just going to have to live the experience. Trust me." Um, yes, and certain, certainly live it. They did, but of course, Nigel in the right atmosphere. No, I've never seen a driver who was more box office than Nigel Mansell so exciting you know it just it just not just in the on-track stuff but the off-track stuff he was always exciting on track because he he was one of those drivers who could end up in the fence on the first lap or could win it on the last lap um similar to you know max verstappen would be the 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 um the facsimile of him now but mansell brought more box office stuff to the on-track stuff because it was always there was so much drama going on and everything it was just he was like a a soap opera and it made it all so exciting he made me a fan of formula one yes because of that so so i i I temper my i temper my uh my criticisms of nigel with that remark as well that he also brought something very special to f1 yeah when i went to the uh, nigel mans museum in jersey a couple of years ago now i spent a lot of time just sat in front of the uh the fw14b that he's got in the museum just just staring at it thinking this for me it's the car that 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 you know i idolized this car as a kid and i watch formula one now because of this car that's right in front of me and just, yeah yeah i spent a lot of time just sat there staring at the car people must have thought i was crazy because they were Did listening you... to the audio tour and going around the whole museum and i was just was like, hang on a second i'm just going to take an hour just just to be with this car <laughs> <laughs> yeah did i ever tell you the story about how i ended up in the in the williams storeroom the one day by myself i don't think so no uh, this was 15 years ago, 2004, um, and I was composing a book on the Williams FW14B, 
and um, I visited the factory. And they didn't take me to the museum. They took me to the storeroom, which had all of their old sort of leftover cars. And I walked in, and it was like Aladdin's cave. There was everything from 1978 up until 1996 was in this room. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, so you'd look under a tarp, and there's Keki Rosberg's world title winning 82 car. And then you'd look under another tarp, and there'd be the Turbo 87 car. And some of these cars had engines in as well. Some of them were in full running condition. Wow. Um, and one of the cars we had was the one of the cars that was out with the tarp off, actually on the shop floor, was a 93 car. Now, bear in mind, the only person I'm the only person in the room other than Steve Wise, who's one of the gearbox mechanics. And we're basically just fiddling about with all this stuff that's worth gazillions. It's worth it. You know, in, in just terms of its parts, it's worth a fortune. But in terms of its historical value, it's worth even more. And we're just dicking about, like we're like going into the cockpit and moving the switches around, and da, 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 like do, do, do the mirrors move? Don't snap the mirrors off, you know. Um, it was amazing to have this place to myself, and we were in there for about an hour, you know. So it was, if you can imagine going around the museum and seeing this stuff. Imagine when you're just in the room and it's just like, oh yeah, whatever. This is all our old crap that we haven't found a place for yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, some old crap you've got here. <laughs> Eventually, they sold they sold the whole lot. Everything that was in that room got sold in a single sale to some uh, Middle Eastern um, oil magnate. Um, so hopefully, there it's still it's still a whole fleet. You know, there's there's a room somewhere in Dubai that still has all those cars in one room. That's crazy! Wow. <laughs> yeah. So was it Prost's championship winning car that you were sat in, or did, did, was that yes? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a FW fifteen C. Yeah. Um, because we were doing they, they also the other thing was that they had they brought in buckets of old parts, so they brought in a they uh, they brought in a um uh, like a toy box you know with um uh, an old uh, VCM unit vehicle vehicle control and monitoring I don't yeah. know if uh, if William still employed that nomenclature, but it used to go on the side pod on the on the on the FW fourteen and fifteen it went on the side pod of the car and it had the voltage regulator on it and everything and we were saying like oh at Spa in ninety one remember when Mansell just took the lead and then the car broke well this part it's this part that failed, so we're looking at the actual bits it was like this yeah this part blew up or you know shorted out or whatever and we we'd done it wrong we'd soldered it wrong or so you're getting this guide, you know, guided tour through historical events that cost them the title and. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was a very, very special day. And at the end, Sounds it, yeah. when I was when I was standing in the reception at the end, I was approached by uh, a, a then unknown woman called Claire Williams, who was a pre- who was working in the press office at the time. Um, and uh, you know, we engaged small talk, and I was basically told her, "So, this has been quite a fun day. Uh, how often do you go in that storehouse? Was, oh, never really. <laughs> Just it's all gathering dust in there because we don't know what to do with it. Of course, they soon they soon amended that." I wonder if the I wonder if they sold it as a direct response, like really all this old junk. We need to do something with it. That is yeah. that, that is just incredible. I mean, well, there's, that, a, there's a heritage program, isn't there? I wonder if all those cars are part of the Williams Heritage Program, sort of leased back to them almost. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the details on it, but certainly the the Heritage Program is great, and I know they've always been. You know, Jonathan Williams particularly is an aficionado of Williams' own history, Frank Williams' son. Yeah. Um, and when we've ever when we've sat and chatted in the past, we've always had a great conversation because we're both absolute nerds. So we can talk on each other's nerdy level to, you know, in a way that we can't speak to everybody else. Um, but yeah, he, he was uh, always a very, very um, cognizant of William's 
historical contributions. Now that's a conversation we need to get on this podcast. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I highly recommend if you get Johnny Williams on the show uh, and <laughs> start talking about Williams history, he'll talk your ear off. I would actually love that. Because as I say, the FW14B for me was that, that was the car that, that you know Mansell drove. Mansell was my first Formula One hero. That was the car I wanted to win all the time. And, and yeah, it was... The, the 92 season for me really was the first full season I can remember sort of being involved in and watching and just, yeah, to be actually sat in front of that car for an hour or so was just very special. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was such a pioneering car. Not to, yeah. I don't want to get too, too bogged down in, in the history of this when we're talking, talking about contemporary F1. Of course, yeah. But the, the, th- the things it brought to us, I mean, active suspension wasn't necessarily new. Mansell had driven it nine years earlier on a Lotus and absolutely despised it. Um, but it finally reached that sort of technological maturity in 92. And it was also the first car with full out traction control, which was activated on Ricardo Patrese's car at the first race in Kailami off the start line. Mansell, uh, Renault, Renault were concerned what it might do to the engine off the line. So they didn't activate it on Mansell's car at the start, but they did on Patrese's car. And Patrese was fourth on the grid. Mansell was on pole. Patrese was second into the first corner. He just went past the McLarens like they were nailed to the grid. Yeah. Um, and uh, after that, it was like, okay, no problems. You know, it didn't cause the misfiring, didn't cause any problems with the block. So away we go. That's fantastic. Well, if any, if anyone's in contact with Jonathan Williams, if you can sort of point him in our direction. Yeah, we'll get him on. We'll definitely, definitely we'll have him on the show. You call, call the Williams reception, man. You use, use your initiative, goddammit. <laughs> Chris, say, can I speak to, call Williams, say, can I speak to Johnny Williams? We want to have a bit of a conversation about heritage and just have a just geek fest about old school williams okay. and he will i'm sure i'm sure he will say oh when do you need me when I'll, when can I'll we do get it onto that i'll get onto that this week because you, are, you, be, are, that... you are the one that's managed to get george russell and lando norris on this show so I, I right that should be a things. segment you should record the conversation you'd have that as a segment in the show we're going to call williams now cold call them see if we can get johnny williams well it's, away we go it, and if you can't um... do that offer him some <laughs> buffalo cauliflower and <laughs> by post that's that sorted <laughs> yeah, I did. I did manage to contact uh, some somebody high up at Red Bull um, for uh, management at Red Bull to come on the show as well. But then, guess what? They're never free. Never. Their, their schedules are always full. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such is life. I don't think. I don't think they're avoiding you on purpose. It, no, it really no. does get like of that. Of course, sometimes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're booked months, if not years, in advance. You would think all that energy drink gives them more time. <laughs> Apparently not. Well, they'll be all be drinking rich energy now because they'll be trying to get rid of the consignment that showed up at their door in Milton Keynes <laughs> as, a, as a trolling exercise from William Story. It's still on sale in our local. Oh, is it? Yes. What? There? No. Oh, yeah. Uh, they they still have uh, they still have some cans with the old logo on um, in the fridge behind the bar. I noticed that last Thursday when we were in there doing winning winning the pub quiz. Mm, true story. Just point. Just out. saying. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying, three of, the, three of the people in this room won the pub quiz last week. Chris, where were the, you? The what, last fourth Thursday? was last. Uh, last Thursday, I was probably, I can't remember, I remember what I was doing last Thursday. Paralytic. No, no, I wish, no. What, wired off your head and all that rich energy that they sell in the pub. Probably. Uh, we'd send yeah. you a can over, but I don't think you're allowed to send it, send it by post because it's possi- possibly uh, dangerous chemical. It also doesn't actually exist. Well, that- I've actually drank exist. it. I, I drank it. I drank it at the racetrack, so I know it exists. Um, and it just tastes like uh, it, it tastes like a, a, a 
an energy weaker drink. version. Of, it tastes like a it tastes like a uh, weaker version of Red Bull. It's not the, the flavor is not as intense, but it's it's fine as a drink. It's fine. It's not it's not it's not offensive as a drink. I you know it's I okay. wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's been an interesting story that hasn't it unfolding um, throughout the year the whole rich energy sponsorship thing. We're convinced they're making a film. Like the only way, the only way this could, the only way this can all make sense, is if somebody said at the start of the season. So we're setting out to make a secret film about how far we can go with a completely fabricated sponsor. So do, do let's think, see what we can do. Do you think they're going to pull the mask off William's story and it was the KLF all along? It, yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it will be. That's why I would have got away with it, but for you pesky kids. That's why the pub near us is the only place that you can buy rich energy because they've deliberately planted it near an F1 podcast and thought mm-hmm. if they see it, they'll think it's real. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you, it's you and the Automobile Club de Monaco, the two places that were <laughs> critically important in this whole route. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who needs Lee for conspiracy theories? <laughs> no. Don't, don't need Lee at all for conspiracy theories. Goodness me. Oh, uh, shall, shall we move on to somewhere where there won't be rich energy this week because that will be the Singapore Grand Prix and, of course, it will not be on the Haskells. Good no. segue. <laughs> I, okay, can I but, just add, can I just add, um, Roman Grosjean, for the second time in his career, is going to the Singapore Grand Prix uh, with a team that's lost its title sponsor because 10 years ago he was at Renault, who then lost ING for yeah. the Singapore Grand Prix. Yeah. And in that race, Renault scored their only podium of the season, thanks to Fernando Alonso. So, smart money, Kevin Magnussen, quick tenor on him for the podium in Singapore to end Haas's run of whatever it is, like a 76 Grand Prix without a podium finish ever in their F1 history. 78 Grand Prix, it says here. Uh, 70, sorry, 76 Grand Prix so far. Uh, they're only two short of Dallara. Dallara had 78 Grand Prix without a podium finish. Dallara actually make the Haas yeah, chassis. They build them, don't so, they? So. Yes, there's some, some, some weird uh, statistical crossovers going on with Haas, Singapore, Grosjean, and so on. I think I might alter my predictions that we're going to do later. Has any, <laughs> yeah, we have a prediction, a, a podium prediction, prediction game. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, also, and also, Kevin Magnussen is actually the lap record holder in Singapore as well. Good uh, it's the only racetrack, the only racetrack on which a Haas holds the lap record is Singapore. <laughs> there are four very stunned expressions in this room right now. Yeah. Is anyone else wishing Lee was actually on this podcast tonight? He would lose <laughs> his shit at that, wouldn't he? <laughs> Kevin Magnussen holds the lap record for Singapore. There's a stat I didn't actually know. It's a fairly straightforward one as well. <laughs> You are welcome. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yes, we have the original night race this weekend. Um, always a good one to watch. Usually, mm. it doesn't. It's it's it has pulled some fairly mundane races out of the bag occasionally, but usually quite exciting. Mm. Less so since they got rid of the Singapore Sling, which is what six seven years ago now. Mm. Um, but yeah. but the um, you know, no no cars taken off over those curbs. But you usually get some pretty good races. Um, I guess just what you get with the street circuit under under night lights, I suppose. Yeah, I mean. It's um, it's not as slow as Monaco. No, the street circuits go. You can you can get a little bit of speed up there, um, but it's it's going to be a challenging one because it's not all power. It's definitely, I'd say, more towards the chassis side of things. And I think we've po- possibly seen the end of uh, Ferrari's little run of dominance. Possibly, quite possibly, yeah. 
can I, can I can I interject? I don't want to by, yeah, yeah, by yeah, all yeah. means, by all means. I don't want to completely dominate the conversation, but um, <laughs> it is. You are right that uh, the the fast tracks do favour Ferrari, uh, and this is emphatically not a fast track. Um, last year's race uh, in Singapore was the first Grand Prix ever held at Marina Bay, where the average winning speed was over a hundred miles an hour. That's how slow it is. Oh, why? Okay. Um, and on I think three occasions, we the race has been cut short due to the two hour limit. Um, which isn't a problem in Monaco because they actually only do 160 miles in Monaco. But when you're doing the normal F1 distance, 190, at this slow of a speed, you, it's very difficult to get it in under two hours. And the reason why we keep hitting the two-hour limit is because of all the safety car. There's never been a Singapore Grand Prix at Marina Bay without a safety car. So the timing of that intervention can really make or break a race. Most famously in the first one, of course, when Alonso benefited from Crashgate to win the race from 15th on the grid which incidentally i found that found this out the other day for the first time that is the only grand prix in the history of the world championship that has been won from 15th on the grid who knew that so all, all you need to do to win from 15th is cheat yes good um <laughs> but yes it is it, it's true that qualifying is everything in three of the last four years the cars qualifying one, two, three on the grid have finished one, two, three in the race in the same order. And the exception to those four years was 2017 when yeah. the front row and Verstappen wiped out within 100 yards of the start. Which was clearly so, Max Verstappen's fault if you mm. listen to Ferrari. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Um, the, the only time Ferrari have lost both cars on the first lap of a Grand Prix ever. Yep. Um, but yes, it is. it means qualifying is, is obviously going to be... It, it, qualifying is always important. But especially here. Last year, we only had something like five overtaking moves in the race. So um, that's that was tied for the least with Albert Park. And everybody knows, you know, Albert Park, everybody complains about Albert Park's inability to generate good racing. Singapore is, is, is the same. So, so much of what they do has to be geared towards Saturday. Anybody who gets engine power unit penalties, gearbox penalties, or, you know, um, holding people up penalties is really getting penalised at this tra- this racetrack. Which I think is why we've seen quite a lot of teams um, get the penalties out of the way over the last couple of races before this one. Um, ho- yes, all- I'm sure sure that's related to it. Yeah, I mean, all four Hondas are now running on uh, on new power units that they're taking the penalties for. Um, I think both McLarens have changed them recently mm, as well. Racing points, I think, have... Uh, yeah, and there have been changes with... Uh, Lando Norris. Yeah. Uh, Williams, but uh, Kubica didn't have any choice because everything went foom. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... it's um... It is It is going to be a tricky one. We're going to have a... We're going to have a stab at making predictions. No. Lee has made predictions. Lee has made predictions. We've got a guest predictor as well. Would you like to join in with being a guest predictor for this week as well, Sean? Oh, go on then. Right. Um, while while I'm finding the one I've been uh, sent in, I will let, I will let you go first. We we just do the top three. You want me to go first? If you if you, if you want to go if you want to <laughs> oh, go first, what you think your oh, top three? Well, I... Or shall we put put Lee's out there first? Um, That's the usual rule: is whoever couldn't be asked turning up to the podcast goes first. Which which tonight is definitely Lee. Okay, he is going for. A Verstappen win, Hamilton second, Albon third. Which I think is brave. Yeah, mm. I, I think there's a good chance that Singapore, with it being 
fairly warm there, even though it's a night circuit, might not suit the Mercedes too mm. well. There's logic there, I suppose. Would you agree with that, Sean? I, I'm not going to influence the picks here. I'm going last. <laughs> Are you going last? Oh, you're going to go last. last. Right. Who, who's going next then? Uh, well, we'll do um, we'll do our listener guest prediction uh, this week. With it being uh, this week being the fifth anniversary of us founding the Three Legs Four Wheels site. Although it took took us six months to do the first podcast because it all came about because of a conversation about the first Formula E race, actually. It did, yeah. Um, So this is one of our original listeners from when we first started doing this, when there was four of us clustered around one mic... In fact, three of us clustered around one microphone because it was before Dan joined. Yeah, it was. Um, So uh, Rich Walker, long-time listener, possibly the longest. Yeah. He is going for a Hamilton win. Charles Leclerc second, and Verstappen third. Okay. I don't think the Ferrari's going to cut it so well, but we'll see. So he's, we're saying ru- no to Ferrari and no to Mercedes. Well, he's running quite... He's <laughs> Someone's running well. got to be up there. Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> he's running quite well, isn't he, after his two wins, but I'm not sure he yeah. can carry the momentum through to to the podium in Singapore. It's possible, of course it is, but you know, shenanigans can happen. So I think I was going to go for the same three drivers there but in a slightly different order i was going to go verstappen for a win um leclerc second and hamilton third okay uh better write hamilton down because i forgot to forgot to write third place um, <laughs> you go next chris if you want i'll go hamilton verstappen bottas hamilton verstappen bottas dan do you want to go i'll go I? i'll go hamilton no, 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 won't. No, won't. <laughs> I'll go Verstappen, Leclerc, Alban. Right, and I think I will go for. I'm going to go a Red Bull one too. I am going to go Verstappen, Alban, and Hamilton. Sean, you've heard all hours now. What do you reckon? Well. Uh, Sean, what were your what were your three picks? Did I hear Verstappen, um, uh, Verstappen Leclerc, Leclerc, Hamilton? Right, that's exactly my top three, and I'll explain why. Um, the Red Red Bull. Sean, Sean changed. I should just I should just warn you, I am very much last in our league <laughs> for predictions. Well, I guess I I guess I'm not very good at predicting either, because I would have made millions from my uh, stats otherwise, rather than just a few pennies here and there. Um, but here's the reason why I go for that. Um, Verstappen's been on the front row in Singapore the last two years in a row. Red Bull have started in the top three for 10 consecutive years in Singapore. Um, Not only that, but this is also the uh, only track on which Red Bull have finished either first or second in every race held in this decade. So Red Bull were always a force on this track, no matter how bad the Renault slash Tag Heuer engine was. They now don't have that. So I think this race will come to Red Bull, particularly Max Verstappen. Um, That would be my, my main theory there. Uh, And the reason I would put Leclerc ahead of Hamilton is because um, although Mercedes took pole here in 2014 and 2016 and 2018, in the interval years of 2015 and 2017, they were only fifth and sixth on the grid. So their performance tends to be rather erratic on this track. Sometimes it's great for them and then other years it's not. So on that basis, I put Leclerc in front of Hamilton. Seems logical. That, that, That makes sense. If you want to join in with the predictions 
uh, and you're listening to this, then if you go to the website, threelegs4wheels.com, go to the game section and just click on Prediction League uh, 2019 and you put in your top three. But also on there, uh, you can also predict pole and fastest lap. And you've got until five minutes before Q1 starts on Saturday to get that in. Any uh, particular interesting stats that you might be able to let us have now, Sean, about Singapore? Well, uh, not to not to darken the mood slightly, um, but there's one there's one statistic I want to bring up which no one seems to have done yet, but I'm sure will come up this weekend, and that is that race day in Singapore would have been Antoine Hubert's 23rd birthday, um, and I hope and think that there will be some sort of acknowledgement commemoration of that. Um, because obviously the the uh, the after effect of that crash is still with us, uh, and uh, Juan Manuel Correa is still fighting in a in a hospital in London, I believe, against the injuries he suffered in that accident. Um, but I hope there's some sort of commemoration of Hubert, who was not just some just you know run of the mill driver. He was the GP3 champion, so he was going places. Um, and it's been tough for French motorsport, who of course who had already lost Yul Bianchi. Yeah, uh, and then lost Hubert as well before either of them could realise their full potential. Um, just on the just on the subject of um, Juan Manuel Correa, um, his family—I don't know if anybody's seen this—but his family have invited fans and friends to email support supportive messages to him um, at info at jmcorea.com. So, if anybody's listening and wants to just send him a few words of support. Pop an, e- pop an email to him. His family have actually asked yeah, for this. Who wouldn't want to? We should all really get onto that. And we're all uh, hoping for a swift and full recovery. Definitely. Um, and I, th- I think that, like you say, Sean, there has to be some kind of tribute to um, Antoine Hubert this weekend. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll do something in our own way during uh, during the race. Yeah, yeah, it'd be kind of nice, you know, if there was some acknowledgement maybe on the tw- lap twenty-three because it would have been his twenty-third birthday. He was born. Hubert, incidentally, was born on the day of the ninety-six Portuguese Grand Prix, that famous race when Jacques Villeneuve went round the outside of Michael Schumacher at the last corner. So that really highlights how brief his life was. Um, yeah. That you know he's not no longer with us, but he was born that day. Um, it's yeah. Wow. What can <laughs> still, you say? It's still how still remember that pass to this day. Yeah, that that was that was the day Hubert was born. So, um, I hope it, I guess the the, be, the best time to do it would be lap twenty three of the Singapore Grand Prix, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, there was a it was a fan initiated lap nineteen um, applause, wasn't it, um, at Spa because um, that was the number that he raced with. So, uh, let's spread, let's, let's, let's spread the word yeah, and um, start, word, start something for lap twenty three. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll credit Sean for that one. I'm sure I'm sure they'll do something, um, but I haven't I, you know, check in the Twitter sphere. No one's brought it up yet, but uh, I have um, I've included it at the top of my notes uh, in the in the pack that I provide to broadcasters. There's yeah. a page that that actually has bullet points for each session. So it's like, OK, I haven't got time to read all of this nonsense. Just give me the things I absolutely need to know right now. And that's top of the list on the uh, for the race start information. Today would have been Antoine Hubert's birthday. So you can expect that to come up in the broadcast this weekend, no matter where you're watching in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It was a terrible accident and uh, should be commemorated in, in some way. Yeah, yeah, definitely definitely a life that needs celebrating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, feels almost wrong to do another total shunt after that, but I think we should. Yes. Let's lighten yes. things up. Ready for another shunt? 
Bring them on. Right. Um, just like you did with the predictions on this one, Sean, you're, you're, you're guessing last. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So but is this a normal th- standard? This one? is a normal normal standard total shunt, so I want guesses after three, six, and ten yeah. clues. Yeah, no worries. So, first clue. Um, oh, this is from uh, David Book, by the way. First clue, I was born in 1962. Okay. I won the 24 hours of the Nürburgring in 1989. Well, that's probably Sean got it already, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not very good on the, I'm not very good on sports cars. <laughs> so that'd be someone who was 27? 27 when they won the uh, Nürburgring okay. sports cars, yeah. Third clue, um, I'll need a guess after this one. I was the German touring car champion in 1996. Uh, uh, I, I know who it is. Is it Frank Frank Bieler? Wasn't he German touring car champion in '96? Possibly. Can, can I guess? Well, you can put the you can put the guess in, and we'll oh, see if you're no. right at the end. No, no. Oh. Was it, uh, is it Frank Bieler or Gabrielli Tarquini? So, which one are you going for to bank your first guess with? I'll it? go with Gabrielli Tarquini. <clears throat> okay, so that one's from you, and Sean, your first guess you're going for. Manuel Reuter. Okay. So that's who it is then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weren't, weren't Tarquini and Frank Bieler both in British touring cars? In, they were, then? but Gabriele Tarquini definitely went to German touring cars. And Frank Bieler, I think, went. he may still have been in British touring cars at that point. But he came from German touring cars, I think. Can I just say there are still seven more clues to go? Okay. and. You may or may not have heard the right answer. Okay. So we have. <laughs> <laughs> Clue four. I own a five-star hotel in the Dolomites called the Floria Mountain Spa Resort. Okay. Well, the Dolomites are Italian mountains. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's go- that goes with my Gabrielli Tarquini, but I'm not going to go against Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Fifth clue, I won the 24-hour of Le Mans five times. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2006, and 2007. Okay, no idea. And it's a fair chunk after winning 24 mm-hmm. hours of Nürburgring. Yeah. Well, then it's not Manuel Reuter, who I think only won it once. And clue six is where you get to do another guess. I raced in F1 for three seasons. Yeah, it's Gabriele Tarquini. Tarquini raced. Tarquini raced more more years than that. Did he? Yeah, because he he made his debut uh, Imola eighty seven. The last race was Nurburgring ninety five. Not that I'm freestyling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm intrigued by this because you said German Touring Car Championship in nineteen ninety six, didn't you? Yes. Um, Now, what confused me here is that, that you mean the German Super Touring Championship. I'm only go- I'm only going on what <laughs> I'm only going on what the question says because the because the, the the DTM there was no DTM in '96 it was the International Touring Car Championship so what was the German Touring Car Championship became the ITC just in '95 and '96 so I assumed you meant that that's what spun me out uh, I probably might have to, should have done a bit more research we'll, we'll continue on here well we can only read the clues out as they're given yeah. to us <laughs> clue seven in 2019 I became president of the F1 Grand Prix Drivers Club. 
The Drivers mm-hmm. Association or Drivers Club? It says Drivers Club down here. Okay. Because the, pre- the president of the Drivers Association is Groshon, is it not? Which would not in any way fit any other club. he's chairman. Is, is he chairman? I don't know what weird different, title different he gives himself. And I get the feeling this is going to be one. This is going to be the one where Sean gets it, but we'll see. My best F1 race result was fifth in the 1989 Australian Grand Prix. Okay, yeah, I, I do know who that is. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm still perplexed by this German touring car bit from '96. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what got me before. Like, what? <laughs> is it even? Do you, do you think that clue might be right on any level, Sean? <laughs> I I I, don't know, I have to call a steward's inquiry on this. Uh, I will have to get. Me- what I'm going to do time. is, I'm going to get Michaeli Molino and David Hayhoe <laughs> and Jao Paulo back in the room and say, "Listen, lads, here's the thing." Yeah, you see, now I know we were talking about the 89th and 90th running of the Italian Grand Prix, but this is far more important. Who was the 1996 yes. German touring car champion? What was the German touring? Yeah, car what was the? Ju- yeah. <laughs> Okay. I, I, well, I now know who this is. I now know who the correct answer is going to be. So I'm going to go and I'm going to have a look at German Super Touring in 96. So you carry on and I'll get back to you. Here. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, clue nine. My first F1 race was in the 1989 French Grand Prix, replacing an injured Johnny Herbert. 1989 French Grand Prix. Mm. He wasn't injured. He was dropped. <laughs> <laughs> he wa- he wasn't injured. He, well, he was dropped by Flavio Briatore. And yes, it was the uh, Super Touring Wagon. Okay, see. Mm. Different championship. Slightly different. (laughs) Yeah, German Super Touring Wagon Cup. Uh, Ten? Yeah. Possibly the the spaffer, I think, on this one. I was the driver steward for the 2019 Canadian Grand Prix. Stunned silence. Yeah. Come on. How, how many people have you sent death threats to on Twitter? It's that guy. <laughs> there, there's so many that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> of course, the 2019 Canadian Grand Prix being the uh, being the, the Vettel, uh, the Vettelins. Yeah. Was it a man? Man? Was it a Piro? Was it a man in the Piro? It was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I got that on the last clue. <laughs> Thanks for sending that one in, David. That's great. If you want to send a total shunt... Of course, uh, Sean already knew it. Sean already got there. I think that was clue seven you got there on, Sean, or was it... Uh... Yeah, I would say, uh, full disclosure, I, I might have got it after the Le Mans one, um, but uh, the, the, the German touring car slash super touring <laughs> thing, because there was two German series, you see it, so I got the wrong one, you know, because it was in yeah. 95, it was German super touring and German touring car DTM. Um, and also, uh, you know, Manuel Reuter was born in 61, apparently, December 61. So when you said born in 62, I had the right right type person, you know. Yeah, you were were there or thereabouts. It it made sense. Other than being completely wrong, I almost had it right. (laughs) And it somehow took me remembering something that happened in May. (laughs) Bearing in mind we're now middle of September. Yeah. And by the way, you mentioned Paul Ricard 89. That was the debut race for the Ford HB engine, the uh, engine that would become the, the, the customer choice of early 90s F1. Yeah. That was the very first race that it was used uh, for Benetton. Um, I think Pirro had a DFR, but Nanini had the HB, uh, which right, is a okay. completely different engine design. 
Uh, and Pirro was hand Pirro was promoted by Briatori because Briatori had become the boss at Benetton, decided that Johnny Herbert wasn't much cop, so he ditched him, put Pirro in the car instead. Uh, and uh, Pirro wasn't terribly impressive, I must say, other than Hockenheim. He had a good race at Hockenheim that year. But uh, yeah, very much, very much Briatori's boy. That explains a lot. <laughs> uh, right so if you want to send a total shunt you can usually send a direct message on twitter to lee who is at a total shunt yeah or seeing as i've used two from the reserve pile tonight uh drop an email and i'll get that three legs four wheels at gmail.com if you want to get hold of the rest of us you can get the show at three legs four wheels and individually we are at sean cowper at flood 21 at dan dankleton at pablo 100 and of course sean you are at Virtual Statman. <laughs> um, only thing that remains to say is just a quick reminder about the current Formula Lee challenge. Uh, Singapore in a Ferrari in the dry, and you've got until next Monday after the race to get the times in. You know how to do that. Um, Facebook message, email, send me a message on um, PlayStation Network if you're on there. And um, we'll see who com- see who comes out on top. Sean, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been uh, it's been a blast as always. Thank you very much for having me on again. Any always anytime. Really you know that you are always you're always welcome. And uh, if you can bring Jonathan Williams with you next time, <laughs> no, no, I'm going to get. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. We'll even send him the buffalo cauliflower. Yes, I will tell you what. If, he, if he's in Mexico City, I'm not I'm not going to be uh, at the track again until Mexico City. So. If by some miracle he should show up, I shall rugby tackle him and bring him to a microphone. <laughs> well, if you're at the track in Mexico, if you fancy doing one of the um, one of the previews on the uh, on the Friday or the Saturday before, let us know, and uh, we'll do another of our little preview shows with you as well. If uh, if you're available, yeah, I'll do a roving report today. Three legs and four wheels comes to you live from the Lucha Libre Taco Store right outside the Mexico City circuit. Uh, they do yeah. bu- buffalo cauliflower. They sure as hell will when I get there. <laughs> sure, buffalo cauliflower tacos are the best tacos. Wow. Yes. It's, 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 it it's a real sleeper here. I, I mean, I'm here in San Diego, so I'm right on the border with Mexico. So we've got outstanding Mexican food around here. I'd like to think that I was a good, uh, a good person to, to judge the taste test on that one. <laughs> we'll look up the recipes and we'll find the best one and um, stick it on the site at some point. There you go. You see, I... I, I love the willingness to be, to be diverse. That's, that's what I appreciate <laughs> I about you say, guys. I, did, I didn't know we did a recipe section. We do now. We, <laughs> we didn't until great. about two minutes ago. Right here. It's great. Right it's here. turning into it's turning into like morning television. Yeah. You know, we've done we've done hard hitting politics. We've done life and death. We've done actual racing. We've got a cookery segment. Yeah. Uh, we need we need an aerobics segment. And now we're uh, down with the weather. <laughs> yes, and then the weather. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this this is our um, one show interviewing Bruce Forsyth about knife crime moment. <laughs> that was a thing that happened. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the most surreal five minutes of TV ever. Right, we'll be online at the weekend. I'll be doing the qualifying blog. Um, myself, Chris, and Sean will be doing the live race blog. Dan will be riding two laps around the TT course. Dan yes. will actually be racing. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> It's endurance. It's a mar- it, well, it's three marathons, not a sprint. Yeah, seventy-seven la- seventy-seven miles, give or take. Yeah, two mountains. Yeah, on the bike, on a motorbike. No, on a push bike. 
Oh, okay. Well, it's much more my territory because, of course, I do triathlons. So yeah. Have you done one recently, yeah. Sean? Or, or, or um, I did a I did a sprint triathlon a couple of weeks ago. I was thinking I'm thinking about doing the Ironman in 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 Arizona, which is the week in between Brazil and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, so if I did it. Um, I'd then have to go directly to Abu Dhabi and spend like 15 hours on an aircraft scrunched up after doing an Ironman. I'm not Ooh, sure my legs yeah. are up to it, but nah. it would be, but it would be rather cool to rock up in the paddock at Yas Marina with my Ironman medal. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> scoreboard bitches. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> what will that be? The, uh, will that be the fourth Ironman you've done? It would be. Yeah. Impressive. Let us know how that one goes. Uh, right, we'll be back next week. We'll have the uh, whatever happens in Singapore to talk about and probably a hell of a lot more besides. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.